Senda. Hey, Phil. Do you want to talk about different ways to kind of get into character? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm Batman. Cue music. Welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am your host, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And for today, we have a question from Paige who asked us by email, when starting a new character, what do you do to get into their headspace, flesh out who they are, and how they interact with a party? Context. Sometimes it's easy for me to put things down on paper, but hard to connect that with how I actually play the character in the game. Which, like, yes, absolutely. I think we all have that problem of, like... In the same way that as a GM, any plan that you make, we talk up like the joke is that doesn't survive contact with the characters. Like as a player, any background that you write probably is not going to survive contact with the game, right? Like any personality that you assume may or may not survive contact with the actual game, right? Inevitable. So anyway, cool topic. (laughs) Thank you. So while we're going to approach this topic from a player perspective uh, to answer Paige's question, uh, pretty much everything that we talk about uh, for today is applicable to GMs and their NPCs, maybe on a smaller scale because you have like a whole host of NPCs. But a lot of what we say would certainly work for a major NPC or if you just use like one of the tips that we throw in here, they would easily work for like minor NPCs or something. Yeah, right. Like, just however much effort that particular NPC justifies in the game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So before we actually jump into this, we do need a quick definition of what getting into character is. And we have, you know, Definition Panda on this show to do that. Although I do not have the clip. (laughs) No, it's okay. That that clip is like 30 seconds. We're we're moving today. So yeah, yeah. Do it. Here's our definition for getting into character. These are the activities that allow the player to emulate the character. And this can include things like their voice, their mannerisms, their looks, their thoughts, their background, etc. Sorry, also you want you intended that I then take the next thing, which I stared at you blankly. Because apparently we're having one of those days in podcaster land. One of us is having one of those days. <laughs> I am. Phil's doing fine. I'm. I'll do more hand gestures. You I'm seem to be needing place. it today. <laughs> so from here, um, let's just take a moment to break down what some of the more common activities are that we tend to use, like as gamers, to get into character. Um, and uh, yeah, so so what are some of the ones? Sure. So here are some of the activities and then I'll pair them up with the um, the appropriate skill. Right. So backstory and history, that's writing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's you sitting down doing some writing about your character. Thoughts and personality are acting mm-hmm. as is voice and mannerisms. I'm not going to bundle those two together. I'm going to keep them a little separate. Because you can absolutely do one without the other. Yeah. Um, but but all of that is acting, right? So thoughts, personality, voice, mannerisms all fall under the acting skill. And then lastly, um, under the more common things we can use to embody our character, clothing and props. Clothing is actually a type of prop, just a yes. prop you wear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be one of two skills. Uh, if you're doing it yourself, that's crafting. 
and the and I'm using crafting in the largest umbrella possible um, to mean everything from sewing to painting to like putting foam together, whatever it is. I'm going to call that just crafting. And uh, if you are not doing it yourself, um, then it's not exactly a skill. It's money. Um, You're just buying your props, which is totally legit. Just that um, it is not necessarily a skill, but it is a limiting factor because uh, you might, you know, may not be able to afford full plate mail. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. might not want to wear full plate mail sitting at the table. Just also. You might. Saying, you, might. you might. But full plate mail is going to be expensive. Anyway. Right. 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 Interesting. Anyway, the, the key thing to take away from from this conversation, actually, and from this list of um, potential um, activities and skills is that the idea here is that this is something that will give you just enough to get started, right? Um, just enough that you can sit down at the table with something to work with instead of nothing to work with um, and be able to then start interacting with the other people at the table and inevitably evolve and grow more comfortable in that character the longer that you play them and the more that they interact with others. Um, So one of the things that I will just say from my personal experience um, that I think relates a lot to what Paige is asking about is um, whatever I've come up with for a character, inevitably the interactions that they actually have at the table end up being a stronger indication of their personality than anything that I can do on my own to try and plan. Um, so everything that I'm doing, planning myself before I walk into the game is just to give me a, a point to start from, to start having those conversations. And then the conversations and in- interactions actually build out that character and get me into the headspace more than anything else. So this is, so for the same reason, this is why pilot episodes, characters yeah. always look kind of eh, eh during pilot episodes, because <laughs> at this point they haven't done anything in the show. And so all we have is, uh, all we have to go on is whatever the writers basically prompted the actor with, right? Yeah. It's the actor's initial interpretation. And, you know, this is my argument by why all pilot, like all pilot episodes and all first seasons of all Star Treks are yeah. inherently weaker yeah. than later ones, because once you've settled in and the writers and the actors both understand the character better, yeah. the characters become much more set. And that's the same thing that's happening here is you need to show up to the table with something as a character. Yeah. But like you said, you just need to get to the table comfortable and ready to play your character. Who your character really is will start to come around in a few sessions. Yeah. And 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 as long as you like them, they're usually worth the wait. And sometimes it takes longer than others. I will just really quickly insert a personal anecdote here and then we will move on, which is um, I'm currently playing the Fae in a Monster Hearts game. And I was really excited about the idea, but like uh, the game kept getting moved around, canceled. It was supposed to be for like Halloween last year. (laughs) We're still like in the beginning stages of this game. Um, And um, it was hard then for me to really wrap my head around this character. And she kind of got pushed into a mother hen role because she's stage managing the production. So she's kind of has to function like a stage manager. Um, And that wasn't what I'd necessarily originally envisioned for her. And then one day I actually had a breakthrough about what her emotions were, you know, months later. And now I have a much better idea of how to drive her in play because I understand that she's driven by a fear of abandonment um, or like not being good enough. 
And like, that's a key thing, right? But I did not know that when I walked into playing her and I figured it out as we went. And that's fine. I had enough to start playing her to get to that conclusion um, and see what happened. And uh, and now I understand her better, right? So that's, that's kind of where we're going at. So this is going to be a conversation about how do you have enough to sit down at the table and get started so that everything else can create the season two of your character where they're really cool and three-dimensional and embody all of this neat stuff and have undercurrents of emotions that drive their decisions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, and I guess my last takeaway from this before we jump back into the notes is like, it's really okay if your character is a little one-dimensional when you first hit yeah, the yeah, table. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's fine. Like, so is everybody else's, right. <laughs> like, to some degree. <laughs> and that is, I think, the next piece we're going to talk about here is... Um, when when we talk about that list of activities and the appro- and the um, skills that go with them, we can see that there are actually three separate skills involved. And this goes back to Paige's question about why it's easy to write the character's background, but harder to get into their head at the table, because those are two different skills. One of them is writing and one of them is acting. And so if you are more comfortable writing and less comfortable acting, yeah, it's going to be easy to generate a lot of backstory, but harder to like kind of feel your character at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Yeah, go ahead. And the thing is, we all have different levels in these three skills. Very few people are going to be like awesome at all of them. (laughs) Some people may be proficient at all of them, Mm -hmm. but inevitably somebody is stronger in one thing and weaker in another. So I think maybe maybe what we should do, because it's fun to talk about this stuff, right, um, is maybe we should rank ourselves, just because it's an interesting conversation piece to, uh, to have, um, about how good we are at these. So just to, to remind you, before we get into this, because we took away, uh, I took us down a rabbit hole, sidetrack there, the three skills that we're talking about are, um, are writing, acting, and crafting, right? Um, and this one is is interesting to me. I do think that I am reasonably proficient in all three of these. Um, having both done a ton of um, amateur writing, but then also being an actual theater kid, but a technical theater kid. So I don't think that I'm like amazing stars like magic at any of them, but I do think I'm proficient at all of them. I think I'm probably best at crafting. Um, and then secondly, um, acting, writing, or maybe a little bit better at acting, but I think they're kind of on par, but I know that I, um, I rely on my acting more, um, to drive my character, getting into my character at the table. But, uh, and Phil, how do you feel about it? What are your skills? So I'm probably, and this will come as no surprise. I'm probably strongest at writing. Mm. Um, I'm a pretty prolific writer at this point. (laughs) Um, so I'm definitely strong. Like my backstory history stuff is, you know, I got good, I got great game on that. Um, my least is without a doubt crafting. Uh, I'm not super artistic outside of digital things. Um, so if crafting is involving making something digitally, I'm, I'm okay-ish, right? Like I can, I can make some decent stuff, but if I had to like make a magic wand, like I'm pretty screwed. Like I have to then default to money. Um, or find my friends who can craft to help me out, right? I, I'm not going to be able to. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to carve out a magic wand or anything. Um, in terms of what I use the most, um, so ironically, I don't actually write a lot of backstory for most of my characters, um, and that's a personal thing. Um, I tend to write a very simple backstory, so I actually use personality 
probably uh, the most. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of whip up a basic, simple personality to get started with. Um, and I absolutely do crafting the least. Like I just, um, I don't often find props for my character. We're going to talk about why it might be cool to do that um, in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely some things where having a prop would actually probably help. I just never seem to do it. Um, And now that we're taught, like now that we did this episode, I kind of think to myself, like, kind of think maybe I should be doing it more. doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's interesting because I actually think I also use um, having a baseline personality the most. And probably like actual props the least, even though crafting is, um, you know, a, a, something I'm well trained in. Um, you actually also enjoy it. I enjoy it. Well, like I do, I enjoy it, but I, and I, and I do craft a ton. Like I make a bunch of my own clothes, but like for real life, for real stuff. And here's another interesting thing. I am just going to mention this. Um, our conversation is very tabletop RPG focused. And this, if we had this conversation and we were talking about LARPs, some of this would flip-flop for me very quickly. I don't do crafting stuff for tabletops, but the moment that you say the word LARP to me and you say, let's play one, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to wear, right? So just to to really be clear about how we're doing this, um, if we talk about something like a LARP um, crafting Um, props actually jumps to the top of my list because it is an expression of personality for me being a costume designer it suddenly becomes the fastest easiest way for me to create a personality for my character and that's very different for me like it's a is a drastic differentiation between playing tabletop and playing a larp um so i just toss that out there too Anyway, that's way too much information. Obviously, this is getting exciting for me because I'm like, notes? What notes? Okay, let's drag us back to our actual topic of conversation for the day. (laughs) Um, Basically, there are two takeaways from this. Um, The first one is that uh, you're going to inevitably be better at some of these than others. Um, And two... You can learn to improve any of these skills, right? So you can make an effort if you want to and invest um, time, effort, money, energy, however you want to do it, um, to help with one of these if you feel that it is holding you back from accomplishing things that you want to accomplish at the table, right? Yeah, so when you're setting up a new character, lean into your strengths, right? Like, if you're really good at backgrounds, do some backgrounds for your character, right? Lean into your strengths to help get your initial feel for the the character. Then grab a couple of those other things that you might be less good at, but use those to help round out your character. So for the rest of the episode, we're going to give you tips on the three uh, major areas, starting with background tips. Yeah. So this is where we get back to writing, um, just to, to, to call back to the skills that we're talking about. Um, and I think we're just going to ping pong these. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Um, so the first one is to create details for your background, um, but don't make them super specific. Make them loose enough that you are giving the GM room to work them into the story that they have planned or that they are planning um, so that it can be you know, something that can adjust and move and roll with the story and you will still be happy and satisfied with the outcome. Yeah, I mean, like, 
don't be super specific about naming organizations, things yeah. like that. Um, if the GM wants you to name them, they'll come back and ask you to. But if you're just like, you know, a group of criminals killed my uncle, I, I as a GM can find yeah. a group of criminals anywhere. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, or I, <laughs> I used to work for the Thieves Guild, but then they turned on me. You know, okay, cool. Which Thieves Guild? <laughs> like, but but that yeah. gives the GM the opportunity to involve that. Um, unless it's a discussion you're having at the table, like sometimes you just talk out backstories like that as you're plotting things. And then it's like, cool, just grab that, you know, thing that they've already created and tie it in. Um, yeah. If we're building this on the fly and a G and the GM's like, oh, you need a criminal organization. Use these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. My next one kind of goes hand in hand with that one, which is don't paint yourself in a corner with your background. So what I mean by that is like, don't write a background that pretty much means that like you have to go kill the king. Yeah. Right. Because (laughs) now you only have like one thing you can do this campaign, right? Which is to kill the king. You've not really left yourself um, too much room, right? Like if you write your background such that like the end of your background is like, and then I performed the ceremonial ritual by which I have pledged to my God that, you know, I will, you know, I will not rest until I kill the king. And then I'm going to begin the adventures like you've not left yourself, the GM or the party much to do. Right. You've kind of painted yourself into a very narrow space. If you leave it as like, I will never forgive the king for what they've done to my like what they've done to my town. Now we've got some more room here, right? We've got some breathing room. You don't necessarily have to, you know, head off to the castle as a first level character to try to kill the king. You you know, we can get around to dealing with that. Um, it leaves some options. So if you're passionately writing your background, don't make sure you're not painting yourself into a corner. Yeah. Yep. Um, or, or, oh, never mind. I forgot what I was going to say. Moving right along. Um, the the next one is actually one of my favorites. If you are someone who likes to write a lot of background, there's a really key thing to remember about that. Until it happens at the table, until it comes out at the table and is involved in the story or, you know, wrapped up in the stuff that's going on, it's not canon, right? Which means that you have to have some level of flexibility if you wrote 10 pages of extremely detailed background. If it doesn't happen at the table yet, it's not canon. So you can't, you don't use your background as a reason to say the dreaded words. Well, my character wouldn't do that. Right. (laughs) Like it shouldn't be a reason to say no at the table. It should be a reason to say yes and do something interesting. Right. The, the companion piece to this is if you need it to be can canon, get it out on the table. Yeah. You have to make it happen at the table or you have to say it or you have to tell that story while you're sitting around the campfire, like whatever it is, right? If it needs to be canon, you have to get it out at the table so that it's canon. Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, next one. Um, This kind of goes hand in hand with advice I give about prep. So it actually holds true with backgrounds. Your background needs to only be as long as it takes for you to be comfortable getting into your character. So I'm going to give both versions of this. If you write six bullets on a post-it note and you feel like you've got a good grip on your initial character, rock on. If you write 10 pages of background and that gets you comfortable to being in your character, rock on. See the above note about canon, right? About getting those things into canon. But 
write whatever you need to write so that when you sit down at the table, you feel like you understand this character. And again, everything we said earlier, once you start playing, you'll have a much better understanding and you'll start to shape your character. But you write whatever you need to write. There is, I've seen the internet, you know, make fun of people for writing 10 pages of character notes, whatever. Look, if that is what helps you get into character, rock on. Yeah, just do it. Do whatever you need to do. But but here's uh, a caveat to that, right? Remember that your GM has to be able to remember all the stuff that you're, you know, what you want them to incorporate to be able to incorporate it. So if you wrote 10 pages of background, if you wrote 20 pages of background, um, it's perfectly fine if you want to provide all of that to them, but you might also want to be able to give them a Cliff Notes version. Um, or a bullet point version or something, what you hand your GM as backstory needs to be something that they can consume and then incorporate without having to memorize a textbook, right? Or have to like flip back and forth through a bunch of pages. So um, whatever you do for yourself does not have to be the same thing that you give to your GM, although you certainly can. But if you wrote 10 pages of background, you might want to give them uh, the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, and you can also... (laughs) <laughs> you can also absolutely retcon your own background once you start oh, playing. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. like if, you, if if in your background you called, you know, a criminal group one name and then you get started in the game and you're like, oh, that group would be perfect yeah, as the people who group. like, you know, who attacked my town. Just go back and fix it. Like, just go rewrite it. Like, yeah. you know, and also, check with your especially GM. If you haven't made it canon at the table yet then oh, no, yeah. literally no one knows but you so you just make whatever you want canon by saying the words exactly absolutely mm-hmm. so don't be afraid to do those things either cool yeah absolutely All so right. that's uh, just some quick tips on background i think we might actually have an entire episode about background somewhere in our backlog some... which we totally did not look up and it's probably also ancient but it's there i was gonna say shockingly it will be like 200 episodes ago or something yes probably a long time ago but it's there if you do want to listen to us uh two years ago us talk about backgrounds in great depth um yeah but so let's go ahead and jump on to the next topic which is actually embodying your character these are the acting skills yep so i'll do the i'll take that first one we'll ping pong our way through um Mm -hmm. One tip that I often use, and I think you use it as well, is um, pattern your personality on another character in media. So if I'm playing a character, I'm like, okay, this guy is kind of Han Solo-ish, maybe Han Solo with a mix of, you know, whatever. And that's like enough for me to start getting an idea of, you know, I know a bunch of, you know, Han Solo scenes. I can start thinking of what this, what my character might say, right? What does that mean to be a Han Solo character, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to be kind of wisecracking. I'm a little bumbling, right? Like nothing, nothing always seems to work the way I think it's going to work, but I'm like really charming, that kind of thing. I can start to, already I can start to build my character, you know, my character um, model in my head around that. Yeah, and it's just, it's a really easy way to get a starting point in your head, um, even though it is it is just that. It's a great starting point, right? And inevitably, you're going to change. Um, so another idea is to use a specific event from their background to anchor their personality, which we were kind of talking about with backgrounds. So if, um, a, you know, a, a band of roving criminals um, attacked your town, um, and the reason you are now out adventuring 
Um, a paladin. Is, you are now a paladin. Right? The reason that you made the life choices that you made was because that happened to you when you were a child or whatever it was. Like, that's that's another way to kind of approach it because that that traumatic experience, it might not be a traumatic experience. This is just what the example that we're using. But that powerful experience in your background may have a lot to do with the life choices that you have made leading up to this point and may continue to influence all of the choices you make going forward, right? Um which is just another way to approach that. Two reminders on that. One, make yes. sure it gets to the table so it's canon. Yes. And two, don't paint and two, don't paint yourself into don't a corner. Don't paint yourself it. into a corner. Yes. Yep. Yes. All right, cool. Um the next one, and I actually do this a lot, is practice acting as your character when you are alone. There are times where I'm like getting ready in the morning or I'm uh, driving to work or whatever, where I will just run through like things my character might say. I do this a lot with NPCs more than I do with PCs because I GM more, but I run my NPCs through my head with like the scenes that I imagine we're going to have a lot. Um, just to give me some initial idea of what dialogue I might say or how I might act or how they might react to a certain situation, those kinds of things. So those little practicing things, like you're brushing your teeth and you're just kind of like thinking about what your character might say, you're making breakfast and you're like, you know, oh, I would totally make this kind of speech or, you know, if I, you know, somebody, you know, if somebody got handsy with me in a bar, this is like absolutely what my character would do, that kind of thing. Like those little like play scenarios in your head are great ways to kind of warm up to your character. Yeah. Um, and actually, I'll just tack one onto that because I don't do that specific thing. Um, but we've talked about um, doing music playlists before. And to me, um, it's very similar in that like having a playlist for a character is a way to live in their headspace for a little while in a practice kind of way, right? Without being in the game um, to be like, have it just kind of percolating in the back of my head. Um, so that's just, it's another another tool, an outside of game tool, right? Um, you that's can also, one. yeah, I like playlists. Um, you can also look for um, internet resources on doing things like voices, right? Um, and, and we say that because I don't think that either of us is, uh, can give any really good tips on doing voices. I can give some very basic ones. Um, I know that James D'Amato has done some tips on voices in, um, several places, and there's also many more on the internet just in general. Um, if doing some kind of vocal change is something that you are interested for your character or something that you think would, um, you know, make a more interesting play experience for you without being obnoxious to you or everyone else at the table to be clear um then then that's a very cool thing to look into and something that you could definitely explore and there are definitely people who are good at this i am definitely one of those people who are not all right i am not good with i'm not good with voices i will do like a little bit of inflection cadence kind of thing but i don't um I, I, I do the one where I just tell you what the voice sounds like and then I yeah. just say words. There's an interesting thing because you can actually make pretty drastic changes in how your voice is interpreted by making very um, reasonably small modulation changes in terms of both pitch um, and volume and speed that you speak at, um, which are just things that y- you can address um, without having to think too hard or without spending um, a lot of time or without making it weird or difficult to maintain at the table. Cause it is something you are also like committing to doing. 
potentially yeah. for a long time. <laughs> like, I actually, I actually have this for my um, my Ox game. Ox the ship um, has a um, somewhat feminine voice. Ox doesn't really have a gender, um, but has a somewhat like feminine voice. And I just have like a um, softer uh, pronunciation. And then Ox is like kind of super brilliant. So Ox also uses like some really complex language. Like yeah. Ox will always say it more complex than simple. The, the most complex way that they possibly yeah. could. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a thing where if something is, you know, younger or girlish, I tend to pitch up. And if it's more masculine, I tend to pitch down. Um, and, you know, that's. <laughs> and, and these little, and some of these little simple voice things will work, which now dovetails into our next tip, which is. Yes accents yeah don't do accents if they're going to be a hurtful stereotype yes um i think that some like i think that some people can do certain accents based on um their upbringing like for instance um i am one half italian and i am one half scottish and i am reasonably i'm i'm very comfortable doing um, an Italian American accent patterned off of most of my uncles and cousins um, yeah. that are, that is a very New York Italian accent. And I'm very comfortable with it. It's not really a stereotype. Um, I, I avoid all the really stereotype kind of words, but the cadence, the inflection, some of the accent I can, I can pull off. I can do the slightest bit of Scottish, um, not the heavy accent, but really more of the, um, the kind of cadence of, of speaking. Um, but I will shy away from it for any length of time. Like I will do a little of it and then I will just back off of it. Um, because it will then border into groundskeeper Willie from the, um, from the Simpsons. And that's not like, then we we're drifting into stereotype space. And then there are accents. I just will not do like, I, I do not do, um, any kind of Asian or um, like the Pacific Rim kind of was a Southeast Asian. Like I just do not do any of those accents. Um, I have no background in them. I have no training in them and none of them will come off as sounding anything other than um, bad. Like just, yeah, it'll just sound like a racial stereotype. And it that is just, not what anyone wants. Know your limitations. Yeah. Know your limitations, right? Like it's totally, I just, I just, I, that's when I just say like in a Japanese accent and then I just speak, right? Mm -hmm. And just let that go. Like that is a perfect place to just put that marker and you know, like this is what it sounds like and then just say words. Yeah. Cause that's, yeah, that's, that's not what we want. No, no, Um, no. Cool. Yes. Um, and then there's one more comment on accents, which is also that um, really strong accents, um, aside from being potentially hurtful, um, also have the potential to be very distracting at the table. So that's just another thing to take into account, even if it's one that, you know, is 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 personal to you or that you can do in a really um, expressive and, and non-hurtful way, whatever it is, still act with caution because if it's very strong, um, it may be something that's, you know, distracting or, or you know, causes uh, troubles at the table. Usually that's just when they're really bad, but, you know, I once had happen. to, just I once had to, to ban about. a, I once had to ban a player from an accent. They were, we were playing conspiracy acts and they were playing a defect, um, a Russian agent who had defected from, um, from the Soviet Union. And they wanted, you know, they started off by speaking in a Russian accent and 
I don't know, five or 10 minutes into the game, I was like, okay, like we all understand Gregor has a Russian accent, but you cannot do this Russian accent. Like, yeah, like it's distracting. It's, it's not a good accent and it's very distracting to the rest of the game. Um, So we all just understand that wrote that, you know, Gregor has a heavy Russian accent when speaking English. And then we moved on. Move on. Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, The other thing you can do acting wise is you can have some sort of physical gesture or body position. Um, Basically just physicality, right? That is specific to your character that is different than how you might um, hold yourself or how you might comport yourself regularly. Um, And the only note that I have on this is just... Um, again, no hurtful stereotypes. And secondly, make sure that it's something that you can do without causing yourself pain for long periods of time. If you're sitting there playing for four hours and you want to do like more of a, uh, a, like a closed in hunch because you are shy or something along those lines, um, make sure that you're not going to cause yourself physical injury from maintaining that, um, for long periods of time. Just a, a well, side and, note. <laughs> and one of the ways you can deal with that is like, don't get into the hunch Unless Until you're speaking you're in character. In character, yeah. Yeah, like you can come in and out of that gesture. You can, you know, wait till like your character's about to speak and then hunch over and, you know, and, you know, and give your, you know, like your few lines. And then when like your turn passes, you can like stretch Straighten back up. out. Yeah, yeah, don't do that to your neck in the long term. But yes, absolutely. Cool. Lastly, let's get over to props and costumes. Um, which yeah. we are heading directly into Senda's <laughs> department. So rather than ping-ponging, I'm actually going to tell you the few simple tips that I put, and then I'm going to turn it over to Senda, who's got much better tips. Um, but I'll mention just a couple of the little ones. So first of all, and this is, goes back to the beginning of the show, a small prop or single article of clothing can actually do a lot to draw you into character. So when I mean like a small prop, I mean like a gold coin. Yes. Um, a single... Uh, article of clothing could be a hat right like even if you're just wearing like you know your you know winger t-shirt and you know jeans and then you put on like a musketeer hat like it will it will pull you towards your character Mm -hmm. like it absolutely will help um so you don't have to and i guess what i'm saying here is like you don't have to go large to get a decent effect a small trinket a you know a potion bottle whatever or a single article of clothing can draw you right into your character okay <laughs> next one thrift stores yay um, thrift stores if you're going to be buying stuff um, especially if you're playing a game that has some vintage quality where you could reasonably find stuff at a store um, to help you out like hit up the thrift stores like if you're playing um Delta Green, which is like, you know, 80s, 60s. Oh, I think there's like a 60s version of it. Then there's like a modern version. But if you're playing like a game set in the 60s, you have a reasonable chance of, you know, hitting up an article of clothing in a thrift store. You might. Um, you if you're might. doing 80, if you're playing 80s, like if you're oh, playing yeah. Tales from the Loop, oh, you very totally can chances. hit some yeah, <laughs> yes. very high chances of hitting something in a thrift store. Um, also, uh, thrift store is good. Like you never know what you're going to find. You never know what uh, you're going to find. And, and also reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, help reduce the harm caused by the fashion industry. Uh, fashion industry and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, whatever prop you do pick, don't make it distracting. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I had a player who came to a game um, with a airsoft gun. We had, we had talked about it. We were all okay with it. It was an unloaded airsoft gun. We were playing corporation. He had the gun with him because he wanted to kind of use it as character thing. 
And he was very good about it. Put it down on the table and started playing. I, as the GM, could not stop fucking playing with the gun, right? Popping out the magazine, you know, sliding back the, the you know, sliding back, putting it back in, all of that stuff. After like five minutes, I like handed him the gun. I'm like, I'm sorry. Can you put this in your bag? Like, I can't control myself. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's just, you know, it, it's a thing. Like, it got distracting. Like, it was messing with me. Plus, I was talking while I kept, like, reload, like pretending to reload the gun, right? So, like, like that's not good. Um, that's where something like a coin, like, is, yeah, like you know, fuck. just like Yeah, if... <laughs> If the thing that like, and this goes also with costume, right? Like if you get the, if you get the musketeer hat with the big feather and you are all playing jammed up at a table, you might like bath people in the head with it a bunch. Exactly. Like it might, it might not be as good as you think it is, but if you're playing with some space or whatever, and you can afford that, like it's fine. Um, If you are thinking about bringing something that looks like, or is a weapon to the table, um, let's just go through some basics, you know, basic safety here. One, is it safe to be around everybody else? You know, an airsoft gun is one thing, but don't bring your unloaded pistol to the table, right? Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> do, you know, if you have a sword, like don't bring your sharpened sword to the table. Like if you bring your replica sword, right, that's like, you know, blunt, that's one thing. But like, I would not take my, you know, my dad's um, rapier yeah. off the, you know, off the wall from, you know, Forged and Fire. And and bring that to the table. Yeah, that, like that thing is sharp. That we thing, all. It's yeah. actually blunt. It's actually blunt now because they um, ground the blade before they oh. sent it back, so it Did didn't they? fall through the fucking box. Right. Oh, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, my point is, um, don't bring anything to the table as a prop that could potentially hurt anyone else at the table, including yourself, um, because people are clumsy and you're like, you know, playing in some space and bumping into each other. Like, just be careful. Yeah. yeah. And check with everyone before you bring something, anything, anything. Yeah. Don't it, surprise everybody by bringing like, your dagger to the table. <laughs> like, just like slam. Oh God. And like, that's what I mean know. about the airsoft gun. Like the player asked if they could bring it. I was like, Oh yeah, that would be cool. Cool prop. And then it was my problem, right? I couldn't resist it. So. <laughs> All right. Take us through the cool. last couple of tips here. All right, so this is this is a little bit more theater centric of me, and this is um, also the kind of questions that I ask when I am doing something LARPy. But they apply both ways, right? So this is you you decide how far you want to go, and as a table, you might decide how far you want to go. I don't, I like I like I said at the beginning, I don't frequently involve actual real props um, at the table, um, although I could, <laughs> um, and occasionally we have, but. Um, the key thing to think about when you talk about props or costumes um, is that what they're really doing is they're playing on how socially we uh, um, perceive someone, right, um, is the, the key thing. So there's two main points to think about when you're thinking about if there's costumes or props involved in your character. Um, one, does your character want to be perceived, right? Is that a thing that they want don't want don't care about somewhere in the middle a little bit do a little bit don't whatever it is like having an idea of how they um carry themselves and how they would dress or what props they might have would be really influenced by if they want to be showy and perceived versus if they absolutely do not want to be perceived at all and that's just not what they're there for right and then secondly um when you make choices 
about what that prop might be, if it's a necklace or a hat or whatever. Um, do they care about how they are perceived? So are they making choices about how they adorn their, themselves or what they carry based on the fact that they know other people are going to perceive it and they want to be seen in a specific way? Or are those choices completely incidental because they do not care? Or somewhere, where where on that spectrum do they fall, right? Because that can also, it can it can inform you both about what kind of proper costume might be helpful um, to get into character, but it also informs you about their personality, right? If you haven't necessarily thought about the personality part, um, thinking about if they want to be perceived and if they control want to control that perception, um, you know, if they're doing it intentionally or not, also can tell you a ton about the character, right? How much they care. Um, and then my last point is actually pretty similar to what Phil was talking about um, when he was talking about having a small proper article of clothing to sort of centralize um, that character. Um, but uh, it's sort of the evolution of that, right? So if there is um, a particular prop or costume piece that beyond just existing like helps you get into character but has importance attached to it for that character um then that becomes a really easy way to start interacting with the game space because it gives you something to immediately care about and this is actually true whether that prop or costume truly exists on your person like you were wearing the necklace that, um, you know, was put around your neck as a tiny baby and you don't know why it's so important, but you know your parents told you you were never allowed to take it off, you know, right? You don't know what happens if you take it off, right? Or whatever that is. Um, whether you're actually wearing that as a prop costume piece, although in the scenario I've just described, I was absolutely loved to wear it because it's really cool. Um, or whether that becomes a prop slash costume piece that you simply take the time to describe and consistently interact with in character at the table as just part of that, um, part of that descriptive shared narrative space that you have. Um, those bits and pieces of your person and why they are important to you, um, both in terms of how people may perceive you on the outside, like if this is a necklace that looks weird, but you're never allowed to take it off, um, or this is my father's sword that was gifted to me, and therefore this sword is really important, and a lot of the way that I act and function is based around this sword, keeping it sharp, keeping it nice, this is what I do in my downtime, etc. Like, that also speaks to an evolving character and gives you things to do and interact with, even when you are just starting out that game and you don't really know what people do, like sometimes the I'm on my downtime, like what do, what does this person do when nothing is happening? Like sometimes that's the hardest answer or question to answer. And sometimes having those specific important props that are special for whatever reason gives you a thing to interact with when you are not um, actively interacting with the story or another character or whatever it is, right? What is your, what is your characters like? Um, you know the the animation in a video game when you stop doing things actively and they just stand there. Like, what do they do? <laughs> what do they do? Like, Link does a little like butt wiggle and like shifts his sword and like readjusts his shield or whatever, right? Do you check the pockets in your magic cloak to make sure that everything's there? Is that a thing that you do consistently? Are you obsessive about it, interacting with that thing because it's important to you? You know. So anyway, basically answering questions about the the clothing or props that you may have 
can lead you to a lot of personality stuff. Um, if you have made decisions about having a magic cloak, but you don't know why, answering questions about why will inform a lot of how you end up playing that character. I'm going to tell one more story, which has to do with an important object, um, which um, I did also have at the table um, to actively use mechanically in the game. It had no actual mechanical effect except for me. Um, there was a uh, the first time I played a an absolute true neutral character in D and D. Um, she was an elf rogue, and I know that you are all astonished and surprised. And she had a tragic backstory in which she was accused of a thing she didn't do. Blah blah blah. Anyway, so basically, she didn't believe in um, any in human institutions, not even human, right? In social institutions to um, have answers or be just or any of this stuff. So she'd gone true neutral and the way that she would make decisions because she was like, well, it doesn't really matter. Like everything is biased is that, um, she would draw cards from just a normal standard deck of playing cards. And it was a deck of cards that I had at the table and we were just, we were just dungeoning, right? Like this was a very standard D and D game. It wasn't anything wild or different. Um, we were going through a dungeon if we came to a crossroads or something and everybody was like, okay, we could go left or right. Um, she would be like, okay, red is left and right is black. And she would draw a card, right? And she would see what suit that card was and just make a decision based on that card and just commit to it and do it. Um, so it was a major part of her personality and how I played her and how I discovered her personality in a lot of ways was by having that deck of cards in front of me and being like, I don't know what the answer to this is. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to like actually talk it through or be logical. I'm just going to draw a card and see what I do. Um, talk about a random element of chance. But anyway, um, that's that's my my personal story. And I really enjoyed playing her for a while. Like that was, it was fun and cool. And it was a weird little thing. And it made her stand out. Um, from a lot of the other characters that I have played over the years because she had that little quirk that was specifically based around the prop, the deck of cards. Um, I actually still remember her name because of the deck of cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So that's that's cool. my prop story. Cool. Hopefully we've, uh, hopefully we've hit on all the major things. Uh, a few wrap-up points before we, um, before we head into the closing. Right. Remember that um, getting into character is actually multiple skills. So you may be good at one, um, you may be not as good in another, uh, but that means you can also learn to improve because, uh, because they're skills, we can always learn to be better at them if we want to be, right? We don't have to yeah. be, you don't have to be a master craftsman in mm -hmm. order to, to play any role-playing game. But if you're like, boy, I would like to be able to make my own stuff, uh, then, you know, go hit up like the cosplay community on like YouTube stuff. You want to learn like how to like make foam into stuff like I see videos like on TikTok all the time of these like amazing things people make. They're um, pretty incredible. Yeah. And you could do that too if you wanted to learn and, and take the time and, and do those things. Um, use one skill to bootstrap your other, um, to bootstrap your character, right? So use the thing that you're really good at to kind of get you started and then pull in the other things to round it out. Yeah. Yep. And just remember... Um, when it comes right down to it, the goal of all of this and whichever parts you choose is to have enough to get you started at the table so that everything else can evolve at the table as you interact with everybody and move forward, right? That's perfect. The, that is the the takeaway we want to throw out there. Absolutely. Say, Senda, tell me about another show on the Mistracted Mark Network. Sure. Um, except that I hid it from myself. Good. On Mastering Dungeons, RPG veterans and game designers, Teos... 
Abadia and Sean Merwin look at the game and the hobby of D&D from a variety of different viewpoints, uh, reporting the news, understanding the business, reviewing the products, and illuminating the design. Whether you are a fan, a player, a DM, or a designer, Sean and Teos cover topics of interest to you. Excellent. Good. And Santa, how do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us at the Misdirected Mark forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com. You can drop us an email just like Paige did today. It is panda at misdirectedmark.com. Or you can find us on TikTok. If you find us on TikTok, we will use your audio as long as there's nothing in there we can't use. Um, but yeah, that's just our Twitter handles. <laughs> Yipper. And once you find us in one of those locations, uh, Phil, what can you do with that information? Much like Paige did today, <laughs> drop us a question. Uh, ask us a topic. Give us something to work with. Um, Whatever is on your mind about role-playing, um, we'll come up with something to, tell, to talk about. Uh, we love these topics. We pride ourselves on doing most of our shows based on your topics because ultimately, and I say this every week, our goal is to make playing and GMing more enjoyable for you. The more you enjoy doing it, the more you're going to do it. And that is how the hobby persists. And that's how we've made it through the past 40, 50 years so far. And that's how we're going to keep going in the future is that we need to make it fun. We need to make it enjoyable. And that's what we're here for. So if it's on your mind, tell it to us and hopefully we'll give you some tips so that it'll be a little easier for you. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Mr. Mark Network, please consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. You're going to get access to the Bamboo Lounge, the after show from the Mr. Mark, and our Slack Room for Life. Uh, the Slack Room is a fantastic community. You um, you can talk about pretty much anything there. We've got rooms, we've got channels slash rooms, whatever, for every kind of topic. Post uh, your latest recipe. There were a bunch of them that went up this weekend, mine included. Um mm talk about role-playing games, whatever. Uh, Star, Star Trek, Trek. A lot of Star <laughs> Trek nerds on there, thanks to all of our efforts over the pandemic. And uh, yeah, uh, just hop on and be part of it. You can also, if you're home or available on Friday afternoons, we have a Zoom uh, where a bunch of us get together. Uh, some some of us who are content creators and a whole bunch of listeners and we hang out. It's a bit rowdy, not like in a mean way, but like once you get to like 12 people in a room talking, like sometimes the conversation can kind of needs a little wrangling and that it's kind okay. of thing. It it's the typical, like, 12 people in a Zoom room. Like, if we were all in person, we would have side conversations. But since yes. we're in a Zoom room, there is only one conversation. So, you know. They're all, they're all wonderful. They're, they're all, all wonderful people. Um, <laughs> there's no requirement in terms of camera, whatever. If you want your camera on, have your camera on. If you don't want your camera on, don't worry about it. Like, if you want to just kind of, like, sit back and lurk and just kind of listen, like, hear people talk, totally cool. If you want to talk, like, there'll be room for you to jump in. Like, it's whatever. Like there are no, there's no hard requirements for it. We, we just like hanging out with people. So mm -hmm. you can absolutely just come hang out with us. Cool. Um, and again, we thank you uh, tremendously. Your patronage is what makes uh, everything work um, for our, our podcasts, um, our hosting mics, like cables, all, all that nonsense. Um, that's, we need that stuff to make it happen. And uh, your patronage is what helps make that happen. So thank you. There's one more thing you can do. Senda's going to tell you all about it. That is equally important, um, if not more important than yeah. the patronage. Um, it is probably more important. Uh, it does not take any money. 
to do, but it does take a little bit of your time. So we appreciate um, if you have a moment to spare. Yes. If you can um, tell a friend about the show, if you like it and you think they might like it too, or leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcaster uh, podcatcher of your choice. I guess you could write a review on a podcaster, but they might protest. Um, <laughs> so maybe leave it on a podcatcher instead. Um, those reviews actually do help other people find us. They're really great. Um, we super appreciate them. They make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Um, and we definitely we definitely love, love getting them uh, very, very much. Thank you so much to everybody who has already left a review. And thank you to everybody who will leave a review. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Say, Senda, what prop could you put together for your Monster Hearts character that would really uh, solidify your character? Um, Boy, I think that she might end up with like a binder because that's what stage management is like, is a binder of doom. And then gummy lungs in her This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Clicky. Hi. Hi. How's you? How are you? Oh, I'm good. Wow. I'm, a, I'm coming in real hot today. Hey. Yeah, you are. <laughs> do i get to put that in the bonus out there? sure you can put that wherever you like <laughs> oh dear okay hey did you do anything challenging this weekend <laughs> stretch your limits we're not we are not having this conversation on mics we are not we're not no mm-mm Mm-mm, disagree. <laughs> Bloop. Wait, we haven't had we haven't had bonus updates like this for the longest time. Delete, delete, delete. Delete, delete, delete. Now I have to actually edit them. Nah, you can leave all that in. Oh my god. Take it for what it is. <laughs> There's a different podcast we could be doing. Yeah. Maybe someday. <laughs> To quote, to quote the great Bonnie Raitt, let's give him something to talk about. <laughs> anyway, you ready to start the show? Oh. I'm going to forget this is there, put this in the outtakes, and then later someone's going to comment on it and we're going to be like, what? And just like turn bright red. Okay, yeah, now we can start the show. We can start the show once you're done laughing. I'm good. I'm put together. Look at me. Very put together. Got a little hair curl, like all set here. Professional. Professional. Bloop. Hey, Senda. I'm not at the beginning of the notes. I just realized I'm not at the beginning of the notes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Take two. Bloop. Do, do. <laughs> do, 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 do. That happened.